0: From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan Lasky. So I start the show that same way every time, from the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, yada, yada, yada. Now, if you listen all the way through until the end credits, and those are the same every time, so I'm not saying you should do this, but I say it a little bit differently at the end. I say AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. I slip that word conference in there. That's technically who I work for, this organization called the Jesuit Conference. Our feeling at the conference is that that word is kind of bureaucratic sounding for a not-Jesuit audience, so we just roll with Jesuits of Canada and the U.S. most of the time. Essentially, the conference is a way the Jesuit provinces in this part of the world come together for collaboration on common projects. There are conferences all over the globe, one for South America, one for Africa, one for Europe, a couple in Asia. Anyway, I'm already getting more into the weeds than I'd like. The important thing for us today, each Jesuit conference has a president, and we here in the U.S. and Canada have a brand new one. His name is Father Brian Paulson, S.J., and he came to us in D.C. a few months ago after seven years as the provincial of the Midwest province, which is headquartered in Chicago. I invited Father Brian on to help us all get to know him a little bit more. We talked a bit about Advent and this period of transition for him. Then I asked him about his big picture vision for the society of Jesus in the world today. We wrapped up with 20 rapid fire questions to get to know him a bit better. I ask these to certain guests every once in a while. After all this, some of my new first impressions of this new boss, Father Brian is a deeply spiritual and thoughtful person who absolutely loves his Jesuit vocation. I think those traits will serve him well. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts and thanks for joining us. well father brian paulson welcome to amdg thanks so much for taking the time to chat how are you i'm doing well mike how are you i'm doing well too um so i'm excited to talk to you about your first few months as president of the jesuit conference and if that's everything you ever imagined it could be uh but first i want to talk a little bit about where we are uh in the year right now or this episode will come out on the, the feast of the immaculate conception one of the most misunderstood <laughs> feasts or teachings of the in the we have in the church. Um so I thought we could start just by talking a little bit about Mary and uh curious about your relationship with the Blessed Mother. How would you characterize it?
1: I would characterize my relationship with the Blessed Mother as uh growing from uh my own personal experience and uh sort of in the same way that you you begin with the humanity of Jesus and then Uh, perhaps grow into the divinity of understanding the divinity of Jesus. So uh, as my relationship with Jesus has deepened through the spiritual exercises and also my studies of theology, uh, the more seriously I grew to take the humanity of Jesus uh, Well, then where Jesus comes from is incredibly important too. And so uh, for me, uh, my devotion to the uh, to the Virgin Mary uh, grows out of my sense of kind of awe and wonder at God's providence, and that's really connected to the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, because, uh, and as you mentioned, lots of people wouldn't know that it, it really has to do with the birth of Mary that Mary was conceived without the effects of original sin so that she'd be worthy to be uh, the mother of our savior. And uh, so that points to how God works uh, through history uh, to achieve uh, the the ends that God desires for our world. So God plants seeds, uh, you know, decades, generations before, so, uh, you know, that that's true for Jesus and for the savior of our world. And I dare say that's true for each one of us. You know, when you think about all sorts of, uh, great people through human history, it's always interesting to see how they were raised who their mom and dad, uh, were and, uh, behind many great leaders, it, there's often a great mother.
0: There's a time in the church year where we spent a lot of time with Mary and, and some of her, there are big appearances in scripture uh, headed up to uh, the the birth of Jesus. And uh, are there any moments uh, we have of, of Mary in these Advent readings that strike you um, more than others or ones you'd like to pray with or ones that you found uh, creeping up into your mind or heart recently? Well, the annunciation, which, uh, you know,
1: is depicted on so many Christmas cards uh, that, you know, Ignatian contemplations don't come easily to me. I'm more of a, of a theory type of guy than a kind of a fantasy science fiction kind of guy. And I, I, I kind of think, you know, when St. Ignatius advises us to use our imaginations and to place ourselves in gospel scenes, et cetera, et cetera, that often doesn't come easily to me. Having said that, uh, I've had many powerful uh, uh, prayer times. When I can imagine myself uh, with the Blessed Virgin Mary when she's trying to understand this message of an angel, you know, and she uh, and, you know, who knows whether she felt herself to be pregnant at the time or not and didn't understand how, how that could happen. But let's assume that maybe she did. And... Uh, You know what what it would it mean for a 14 15 year old uh young woman uh in uh you know in in israel uh to uh, find herself pregnant and wonder what god is doing with her and uh then to be consoled in prayer that this is going to be all right you know and she's betrothed to this guy joseph that uh, and uh you know, this is going to be a big problem. <laughs> and so uh, I have no trouble entering into the humanity of an unexpected pregnancy uh, for Mary in my prayer. And, and, and then uh, also uh, being with her as she experiences the, this call to trust uh, by the angel. And I think many of us find ourselves in unexpected, perhaps unwanted, situations that we don't know how we're going to get out of necessarily and we turn to uh, or to to get through uh, probably is better than get out of uh, and so we turn to God in prayer and uh, ask for light uh, about how to move forward in life given these unexpected circumstances of that could be life-changing.
0: Yeah, I never I haven't thought of it that way uh, exactly before, but you see this moment of real discernment for Mary in these moments, right? We talk a lot about discernment in the Jesuit world and in the spiritual exercises, and you see Mary going through that herself, maybe in condensed form in sure. the gospel stories. Let it be
1: done to me according to your will, that, that
0: surrender.
1: Uh, and, uh, you know, for those who know the spiritual exercises, there's many moments of uh self-offering and of 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 surrender that uh that the retreatant is invited to uh you know culminating perhaps in the the beautiful sushi pay pay prayer you know take lord receive all my liberty my memory my entire will all that i have and possess you've given me Uh, uh, to you i return it Uh, all is yours now um dispose of it wholly according to your will give me only your love and your grace and I'll be rich enough and ask for nothing more so you know every young Jesuit learns that and uh, many other people who uh, draw life from Ignatian spirituality and and what an incredible prayer uh, you know that's a prayer of total surrender that that is that's that's the kind of prayer that the that the Fiat you know uh, the Latin for let it be done you uh, uh,
0: you know represents I don't and I and I don't think uh, the blessed mother went to a Jesuit high school, so no she didn't
1: so there's there's <laughs> a lot of ways to get spiritual wisdom
0: and uh, uh we we don't have a corner on that although we're 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 pretty good at formation so this is your first advent in this new role, and I know each of these kind of big church seasons maybe is a chance to kind of do some check in on our own spiritual life or pray for certain graces there is there anything you're You've been hoping for or praying for uh, in this advent at the the start of it Yes, I would say uh, this is all
1: I'm nearly three months in Washington, so um uh, uh, I've sort of been taking stock of where I was, where I am, and where I'm going. uh it's the first time in. Uh, thirty years, uh, really, that I've lived outside of Chicago or Evanston, uh, where I was the last seven years and and where I had to be really thoughtful of my move. all my other moves in Chicago, you know, were pretty easy. just throw stuff in boxes and drive to another part of town and then unpack. but uh, so uh, I found this whole experience of 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 moving and sorting and pitching and you know, deciding what you're going to save, and you know which pictures mean something to you, uh, which books mean something to you, uh, which letters that other people have sent you that you still hold on to. It's it's like uh, uh, it's like a retreat experience of you know your uh, your salvation history, if you will, you know, and for a Jesuit who. You know, I, I wouldn't say I I could fit all my possessions in a in a small car. It took a van, uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, it was maybe, you know, eight feet square, uh, c- probably, you know, could could hold all the baggage, and uh, uh, you know, what does that mean? You know, what am I going to do with it? Uh, so i I feel I feel sort of like in that liminal space of uh you know poised freedom, if you will, which is I think what Ignatius tries to get a retreat into in the spiritual exercises uh you know, a sense of uh of a holy indifference uh that we hold all the stuff in our life lightly. There was this Dutch Jesuit, Peter von Bremen, who wrote a book that I read when I was a novice as bread that is broken. And uh, it's a great book, I recommend it to anybody who's looking for some some inspiring spiritual reading that also has some just very healthy psychological insights in there. And uh, one of the images he has in the book is the prayer of open hands and imagining ourselves uh, standing before the Lord and that the stuff of our life is in our hands. And so, like that that take Lord receive prayer, that sushi pray prayer that I just uh, rattled off quickly. You know, if we, in our mind's eye, imagine all the stuff of our life in our hands, that prayer says, well, first of all, we didn't put anything there, all is gift. Uh, and we should hold on to it lightly. And, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we should ask, invite the Lord, you know, take out what you will, Lord, and put in what you will, Lord, uh, you know, and I'll be content with with what's there because the whole goal of our lives is to make a self-offering uh, of ourselves back to God. And to the extent to which we are unfree, uh, that, uh, that diminishes our gift. Uh, one one last story on, on that. My my dad went to Campion Jesuit High School Boarding School in Wisconsin where I had gone for two years before it closed. But my dad loved to tell the story about a Jesuit scholastic named Basil Price who went on to become a, a missionary in South Korea because that was a big mission of the old Wisconsin province. And my dad got caught smoking uh, while he was a high school student. And uh, Basil Price said to him, Peter Paulson. No creature should be a slave to a creature lesser than himself. Well, that's kind of uh, that's kind of the whole first principle and foundation there, just in one little example. Uh, and because if you know, if I'm addicted to cigarettes and the nicotine, uh, then I'm not free. And uh, you know, we've all sort of been with smokers who have to you know, like furtively sneak out to go puff or, uh, and it's become increasingly difficult with so many indoor spaces being uh, non-smoking spaces virtually everywhere, uh, unless it's your own home. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty crippling unfreedom uh, but we can be unfree about all sorts of things. And we can be addicted to all sorts of things. You know, the internet is a field day for uh, addictions. And uh, uh, but so to uh, exercise, we could be addicted to exercise. You know, you, you need enough exercise to stay healthy, but you don't have to get obsessive about it. So,
0: so in this time of transition for you, do, do you feel like in these three months, you have been free. Do you have? Has things surprised you? Do you? Yeah, just where where are you at and all that? I imagine there's a lot going on internally. Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, uh,
1: it's uh, it's just such a new experience not to be on a treadmill of of of, uh, of apostolic activity. You know, I, I was 11 years a high school president. I mean, that's like a conveyor belt. Those 1,400 uh, young people come into your school each day. your a couple hundred employees, and there's that whole rhythm r- rhythm of a school year. And uh, then as provincial, uh, you know, I, I receiving the Council of Conscience of 350 men or so each year. Uh, everybody who wasn't in a uh, in a healthcare community. Uh, Had me traveling a lot and and uh, and uh, so the volume of work as a conference president is is not as great as anything I've ever done before and uh, Things don't have the same kind of deadlines if you will. It's a job that invites perspective uh, and uh, because the conference president uh, ideally is a is a source of uh, unity and uh, helps uh, the provinces in the conference uh, to work together for the common good of our mission within our conference and also to collaborate uh, internationally and for any ways in which our conference can be of service to the universal society of Jesus. So uh, uh, that's very real uh, but it just doesn't have the same kind of uh, volume of uh, uh, that I've had experienced in my prior jobs. And because it's more slow patient work to get networks cooperating. Uh, and uh, so I think you need to keep your eye on the prize. Uh, we need to keep our eye on the prize and just, you know, keep, uh, Keep taking the next step forward. So, uh, uh, for instance, uh, uh, you know, a high priority for for me and my service as conference president is to uh, help forge a uh, deeper. Uh, relationship between the five provincials in our conference and the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities. There's 27 Jesuit Colleges and Universities in the United States, and and there's a, a few other institutions uh, in Canada and uh, in Belize that belong to that association. And uh, I would say that, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, well, we really have to go back more than 20 years ago uh, before Jack DeJoy became president of Georgetown, all the all the universities had Jesuit presidents. Today, maybe seven do, um, and several of them are stepping down. Next year, there might be as few or as four or five that have Jesuit presidents. Uh, so the, the lay presidents of these institutions, uh, Their needs are different than a Jesuit president would be in terms of uh, uh, they don't naturally have an organic relationship uh, with the provincial. They don't; they're not a member of the old boys club and the Society of Jesus, and uh, don't necessarily know how uh, where all the levers are pulled, where all the bodies are buried, and uh, so uh, if I can, not if I want to be. a uh, part of uh, proposing some uh, deeper engagement and some uh, creative, constructive uh, ways in which we might foster deeper relationships between these lay presidents and their board chairs and the provincials uh, so that uh, we can help these uh, lay people who uh, have accepted these awesome responsibilities to lead our colleges and universities uh, better uh, serve our mission.
0: Yeah, so I do you do you like the different pace than you've had? Um, sure, I'm 61 years old, and uh,
1: you know every. I every, I think every time you get into a new decade, you sort of wonder what that decade is going to be like, and uh, uh, I I think the '60s uh, uh, for those of us who are blessed with good health and uh, meaningful work, uh, hopefully a meaningful ministry. Ho- hopefully, it's a wisdom decade, and uh, because. You know, if you've been in the vineyard of the Lord for you know for for forty years, uh, as I have been, uh, well, thirty working, maybe ten in formation. Uh, you know, you've been around the block and uh, you have some perspective. And uh, so, uh, and I, I would say I've I've long understood that that you know for the last fifteen years or so that a big part of my responsibilities invo- involve mentoring uh, younger leaders, uh, rising leaders, whether they be lay or jesuit, you know, to figure out their vocation or their vocation within a vocation. And uh, I enjoy doing that uh, very much. Uh, I suppose the challenge of the current position, the further you get from the front lines of ministry, uh, the, uh, you know, the 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 opportunities are different, I would say. So now the challenges and the opportunities, I'm I'm mostly dealing with people in their fifties, sixties and seventies. Uh, they're you know, they're not necessarily looking to be mentored by me. Uh they're they're my peers. And uh and this is very important. The conference president actually has very little authority. So uh it it's uh, His authority is moral authority, and uh, uh, so how to use that moral authority well. Uh, For instance, a a, a significant um, contribution of my predecessor, Father uh, Tim Kosicki, was uh, uh, leading the dialogue between the Society of Jesus and the descendants of of persons who had been uh, enslaved by Jesuits uh, at Georgetown and and uh, and um, some in in St. Louis uh, in the Missouri area, and uh, that led to a, a public apology in April of 2017 at Georgetown, and uh, and then many other years of facilitated dialogue that then have issued forth in a commitment of, by the Society of Jesus uh, to uh, to do its best to raise a hundred million dollars for. Uh, uh, descendants Truth and Reconciliation Foundation, uh, which uh, has as its goals uh, uh, half more or less to provide uh, need-based educational benefits to uh, uh, qualified descendants uh, with portable money—not not necessarily for Jesuit universities, but but where they would want to study—and uh, some support for uh, uh, for. Senior citizens who uh, who are down and out, uh, who are descendants, and uh, but half of the foundation is aimed at creative activities that get diverse communities uh, talking about honestly owning uh, their history, uh, involving race and racism and prejudice, and maybe inequities that. that uh, are the result of, of of history and decisions of prior generations, and what can current people today do to promote racial reconciliation and racial equity and racial justice? And uh, that's uh, can sound rather utopian, uh, and uh, but it's the sort of project that that Father Kosicki as a conference president, uh, he he could. Uh, uh, take the time to have these patient dialogues and to uh, try to uh, forge a consensus amongst the, the last group of provincials. And it's, it's part of my responsibility to, uh, uh, to forge a consensus amongst the current group of provincials and to, and to uh, uh, rally the troops, if you will, and our networks behind uh, the noble vision of this, uh, of this uh, proposed foundation. Well, it's not a proposed foundation. It's a it's a real foundation. It exists. And, you know, the society put $15 million in, and we're actively looking for uh, uh, the rest towards our goal of $100 million.
0: Right. And so, I mean, I think that's a good example of the role of uh, a Jesuit conference president. And also, I think some of the reporting in the media, you know, it doesn't get into all the details of how this works, but it would say the Jesuits and descendants come together. Here's Father Kosicki. There were some others. Here's $15 million. But again, it's not his call to just sit in a room and make that decision on behalf of the society of Jesus, that it had to be, as you were saying, this building of consensus and as a provincial or as a high school president, you always want to be working toward consensus, certainly. But at the end of the day, you, there are decisions that you would have to make, um, on your own again with consultation and, and all those things. But as a conference president, there are fewer of those. So ha- have you found that, uh, a challenge so far? Do you, do you think your, your background kind of, help prepare you for that and the importance of uh, a lot of voices and and building consensus. I'm just curious and how that has been for you so far.
1: Well, I've only had one uh, face to face meeting as conference president with the other provincials. I think it went pretty well uh, here in Washington in mid October. Uh, But, you know, you asked me where I am in my prayer these days at the beginning. And so circling back to that, uh, I have deep peace and confidence that uh, You know, God has, um, God wants me where I am. Uh, That there was an extensive consultation process which involved all the current provincials, which led to Father uh, Arturo Sosa, the Superior General of the Jesuits, appointing me to this role. So I wouldn't be in this role if the other provincials didn't want me to be in this role. So that I take great comfort and consolation. And they, uh, they're looking to me to lead them and uh, it's true. We, we work towards uh, uh, Consensus in our in our communal discernment with each other about uh, important decisions and uh, um, so uh, I, I Don't uh, doubt that uh, It's just it's interesting being on the other side of the table from the you know, I was a provincial for seven years and and uh, and uh uh provincials are incredibly busy every day and uh so when we gather them together for uh, what we call Jesuit conference meetings we we try to have almost a retreat atmosphere about those meetings. They last about four and a half days and we take we we take time for prayer and reflection and and uh uh you know, good discernment involves uh, getting the head and the heart together, uh, and uh, paying attention to our feelings. And you just have to slow down, at least at least for people like me. That, and I think it's true of most people, but especially for people who are more thinkers than feelers. And, and I'm much more of a thinker than a feeler. But I know that it's never the right time to make a prayerful decision till I get my head and my heart together, and and then. So figuratively speaking, a whole group has to do that. And depending on the affective, uh, psychological, emotional makeup of the group,
0: you know, that's going to have a group takes on a a personality too. So you're in touch with the provincials. You're in touch with national networks like all the universities and colleges. You're in touch with Father General and your fellow conference presidents from around the world. I think a big part of the job of a conference president is to have that 30,000 foot view. And I'm curious for you coming into this role now, I'm sure these are things you've thought about in past positions as well. Just you look at a world that obviously is wounded in so many ways, uh, including like the the state of our civil discourse here, or again, uh, coming out of, we're in the middle of a pandemic still, um, great disparity throughout the world and even in our own country. Uh, between those who have and, and those who don't, and I'm curious for you, what you think some of the biggest gifts the Society of Jesus has to offer this world and this church that are hurting? Um, what do we have?
1: Well, we have our universal apostolic preferences, and and that, in a sense, is uh, the big frame of our mission statement uh, today. It's a, the horizon uh, of of the missions that that we embrace. So. Uh, showing people the pathway to God through the spiritual exercises, uh, walking with the excluded, journeying with youth, caring for our common home. I mean, those the society of Jesus didn't invent these values uh, you know four years ago, but five years ago when Father Sosa um, pro- proposed them to Pope Francis uh, as uh, a current articulation of our mission today. but uh, it, it Mike, you and I both know this I think that um, I, I think the articulation of the universal apostolic preferences uh, has excited our lay colleagues and partners um, a lot more than it's really excited Jesuits, because there's, there's I think there's things that Jesuits take for granted because we're saturated in so many inspiring documents and and resources and, and whatnot. But uh, lots of our lay colleagues and mission uh, don't necessarily have have the same uh, aren't aren't saturated in those same uh, uh, those same rich documents. So so this has rung a bell, and we've gotten better at communications too. You're a part of it, and Eric Clayton here in the United States. But even the Roman Curia, you know, I remember that uh, I don't know six seven years ago before the last general congregation, Father Tom Smolich, who was once a conference president. Uh, uh, before Father Kosicki, he said, if our if our headquarters in Rome doesn't get into the 21st century in communications, you know, we're really our mission's going to be much, much less effective. Well I I, I don't know if we're in twenty twenty one, but we're we're I we're in the twenty first century uh in communications in, in in Rome. But uh but to your your question uh you know, we desire to be agents of, of of reconciliation. That, we only had one mission decree in the 36th General Congregation, Companions of Jesus in a Mission of Reconciliation and Justice. You know, that congregation was going on five years ago, uh, this October, November, uh, and that was during the 2016 election here in the United States. And, uh, you know, our, our country has been um, tense leading up to that election and it's been tense ever since in a in a way that's that's new in my 61 years of life and uh and I would dare say that our government you know hasn't worked uh well and it, that's not just in the last 5 years you know going back to the Bork confirmation hearings and uh you know back in the uh, what's that in the 90s and uh uh, you know, civil discourse has become more and more and more coarse, uh, and I realize at the John congregation that that we're most of the world experiences poor government. Quite honestly, uh, so uh, you know, the Society of Jesus. I, I don't know about the gift to the world. Let me let me let me reframe your question. What's a gift that that the Conference of Canada and the United States? has uh, to offer uh, the Universal Society of Jesus as we strive for this mission of reconciliation and justice. Uh, I think a lot of the Global Society of Jesus uh, looks to North America to help them build their, their human capacity for mission. So we receive a lot of international Jesuits to study in Canada and the United States. And are happy to welcome them, uh, care for them, guide them, support them, uh, financially and, and otherwise, uh, because um, you know they're the they're the hope of the Society of Jesus, they're the hope of the Church, they're often the hope of their countries, and uh, many of these provinces are hoping to start universities uh, imminently, and that's incredibly exciting. Uh, uh these young provinces and part of the global south they also have a great need for uh, financial resources and we don't want to just as a global society of Jesus have this sort of neo-colonial attitude of just okay well just uh, uh you know transfer resources from the north to the south and just have that keep them in a in a Uh, relationship of of dependency. Uh, We'd really love to help uh, share something that's a real gift in the United States which is our culture of philanthropy uh, and that's rooted well into our history. Uh, The Jesuit Father General and the General Treasurer in Rome, they've asked me and other people in the United States uh, to be involved in, in mentoring uh, Jesuits from uh, a few other provinces in the Global South uh, in, uh, in fundraising and advancement work. And that's, I think, pretty exciting. Uh, so we'll work with them a bit here in North America, but the goal is for them to go home and talk to their own elites and about supporting the mission. St. Ignatius really believed that advancement work uh, uh, was a ministry and that our benefactors are partners in, in mission. And earlier I talked about if the whole goal of our life is to offer our, our life as a, as a living sacrifice of praise, people who you know give up their time, talent, and treasure to the mission, uh, they are participating in the mission. And uh, I think that's a that's a gift that the North American Society of Jesus, especially the United States, that uh, that we can offer to the global Society of Jesus that would help build uh, their
0: capacity for the mission of reconciliation in their own countries. Oh, thank you for that reflection. A uh, big part of the reason I wanted to invite you on uh, the show was to help introduce you to our listeners as the relatively new president. And so sometimes when we, we've had interesting people on, um, I give them the same list of 20 questions. So we did this with Father Kosicki. We've done it with uh, some of our guests. So I wanted to ask you these 20 questions that I, I have as um, a way of just getting to know you a little bit more. So our Father Brian Paulson, are you ready for our... 20 questions. Sure, sure. Okay. so number one, what are you reading or watching?
1: I'm watching, uh, you know, I I, I like to veg out in front of the TV. And uh, so to get myself off my addiction to to cable news shows, uh, I've been watching La Brea on Tuesday nights. Uh, That's on one of the commercial networks, but it's totally out of character for me. Uh, So some people have fallen through a sinkhole in Los Angeles uh, into this uh, similar terrain, but in 10,000 BC. And uh, they're not the first people to have fallen through sinkholes from uh, the present to the past, and they they run into a few others. And then there's some rescue missions that try to come through sinkholes. I mean, it's preposterous, but it sucked (laughs) me in, like, totally. And thank God, uh, in fact, tonight is the 10th. uh, Tonight, we're talking on Tuesday, November 30th. I know this is going to be broadcast maybe later. But uh, tonight, on Tuesday, November 30th, is the 10th and last episode, and uh, I think, you know the characters are well drawn, and uh, uh, so it, it's uh, there's this Latin phrase adre contra." You know, because I'm such a such a news hound and in politics and a theory guy, for me to veg out on something like this is actually kind of healthy. Uh, I also binge watched Midnight Mass. Which on, on I think it's on Netflix, and uh, that's set on some fictional island, Crockett Island. That I think they filmed it off of Vancouver, British Columbia, or, uh, in that area there. But there is a Catholic priest that comes to this island, and he sort of like, he's possessed by a demon, and he sort of turns his parish into a kind of a cult, and it's it's not pretty, and weird things uh, happen on this little island. But that was only eight episodes too. But again, the, the Good actors, good writing
0: and uh, preposterous, but escapism. So (laughs) so there we are not a busman's holiday for you to be watching uh, something that has a priest in it. Well, uh, honestly, it was Father Kosicki who uh, suggested it. So,
1: uh, you know, uh, he and he seemed excited about it. So, yeah, you're right. It's a busman's (laughs) holiday, but uh, there we are. Number two, what is the best gift you've ever received? I would say a guitar uh and probably several guitars uh I'm trying to i was probably in around sixth grade or so when my parents got me a guitar and uh and then i learned how to play guitar from uh actually from a sister of the holy child jesus uh sister suzanne down at the convent that was like five houses away from us and then like in seventh and eighth grade i started playing at guitar masses and you know all the way through high school and a little bit in college and then, you know, in Jesuit formation. So folk music, both, you know, like Peter, Paul, and Mary, Paul Simon, Simon, Garfunkel, that kind of stuff. But then, you know, St. Louis Jesuits uh, uh, type stuff uh, was very important to me in the 1970s and early 80s. And uh, I dare say that was my entree into liturgy, you know, after being an altar boy. But
0: uh, so... Yeah, a guitar for sure was my, my greatest uh, gift. I, I do admit to thinking about Peter, Paul and Mary earlier when you said that your father's name was Peter Paulson. Right. Your mother's not Mary, is she? No, she isn't. Uh, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three, your favorite saint.
1: Uh, Peter Faber. Uh, the uh, An author, Mary Purcell called him the quiet companion. But uh, St. Ignatius, when he went to Paris to study philosophy and theology is sort of a freelance, you know, free agent uh, seminarian, is, if you will. He found housing with Francis Xavier and, uh, and Peter Faber, uh, Xavier also from the Basque country, but uh, Faber was from uh, Upper Savoy, uh, kind of in the area not far from, between Grenoble and Geneva, Switzerland, uh, shepherd boy and uh, he wrote something called the Memorial, which is his spiritual diary. And uh, I read it when I was about 29 years old. I actually read it on a retreat. Uh, I was in a hermitage, a former chestnut drying house in the south of France in a prayer village. Uh, uh, I wasn't in the Alps, uh, uh, but... uh, Peter Faber's memorial um, kind of accompanied me while I felt uh, God was inviting me into the graces of the third week of the spiritual exercises, which are, is really the Paschal mystery. So um, that that suffering is a part of life <laughs> and that uh, the cross, if you will, uh, Uh, pouring out our life and love and service for others and, you know, potentially suffering because of it, uh, is just that that's normal. So, uh, I think because I gained that important spiritual insight, uh, while I was reading Peter Faber and then that friendship between those three Jesuits, uh, and he tutored Ignatius in like Latin Greek and, uh, and philosophy. And uh, so that kind of quiet behind the scenes leadership and Ignatius felt that Faber was the best giver of the spiritual exercises. So the quiet companion is my favorite saint. Number
0: four, your first job.
1: My first job for a nanosecond was probably washing dishes at the family restaurant, and I realized the kitchen was uh, hot, so and that more money for was being made in the dining room. So I became a busboy, and uh, so I uh, dishwasher as a springboard to being a busboy that I did throughout high school, and uh, then in college we we didn't have male waiters at our restaurant, but I proposed to my dad to become a waiter because I realized that I could do it and and uh, the, the waitresses made more than the bus boys. And
0: uh, so uh, uh, so there, there you are. Number five, two weeks in Paris or 10 minutes on the moon? Well, of course, two weeks
1: in Paris. You, you, you know I lived there for three years studying theology and uh, um, there there's no Luxembourg gardens uh, on the moon, and that's my favorite place in Paris, these beautiful gardens uh, on the left bank uh, close to Saint-Sulpice. And, uh, and also the, the, there's the food isn't as good on the moon. Number six, your least favorite chore. Well, doing laundry.
0: I really, I'll procrastinate about doing laundry as sort of as long as I can. Number seven, if you could uninvent one thing, what would it be? Advertising, uh, commercials on television. Uh,
1: cause, and I know lots of people just find, just don't ever watch commercial TV, uh, but I like some things on commercial TV. So, you know, now the DVR was a great invention because you can then record the things and fast forward through the commercials, but it would be great to get rid of advertising. Number eight, your favorite sound. Oh, my favorite sound. Uh, I'd probably say it's rushing water. Number nine, your favorite hymn. Uh, Fon Williams, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. Because the psalm is beautiful, and uh, the uh, you know the, the song also uh, has a has a great theology of um, of you know that we offer our our life back to God as a gift. Number ten, your favorite zoo animal. Baby elephants. I, I saw them outside of Nairobi when I was visiting uh, the East African province, and they're watching them play together, and and then seeing like where they slept, and then their their handlers would sleep with the baby elephants.
0: Very cool. Number eleven. What superpower would you most want to have? Oh, a
1: superpower that would. Uh, equalize uh, funding for public education and give uh, access to public funding for faith-based education because I think the greatest source of inequity in the in the United States is the way we fund education generally, especially public education. But Catholic education uh, doesn't have it easy either.
0: So, what would you be like, education man? If you need a name to go with your power. Oh,
1: education, man.
0: Jeez, <laughs> uh, 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 I think you'd have to be king to, to do it. Well, there's a question coming up about being king. Um, number 12, what's the best thing you cook?
1: Well, over the pandemic, I I think I perfected uh, pork chops with Dijon mustard, rosemary in uh, dry white wine. Wow. And, uh, Feel like it died and went to heaven and the vinegar and the Dijon mustard kind of, you know, breaks down a little bit of the, of the, of the pork to tenderize it. So it's great. cooking
0: a pork chop is hard. Yeah. It's hard to not dry that out. So right. cheers to you. Number 13. If you were, here's your king question. If you were a ruler of your own country, what would be the first law you would introduce? Well. Uh, that's actually, you know,
1: I said the first love about for my superpower. Uh, so, uh, geez, uh, beyond that, uh, I don't know. So I think I already got my answer with my superpower. Number 14, what current or past music group would you most want to join? Oh, the Beatles. You know, I love the variety uh, in their music. You know, you can have things that are like purely Close to purely acoustical, like "Till There Was You," and then you can get you know the the, the huge uh, wall of sound, you know, production of Phil Spector and you know George Martin and and uh, Peppers, and uh, uh, so I, I just think their their versatility uh, uh, you can tell that they had fun making music. Have you watched the new uh, documentary
0: yet? No, I haven't. I I don't know where to get it. Is it? Uh, it's on Disney. It's on Disney, Disney Plus. It's very long. Yeah. Just be warned. But there are some cool things in terms of like the behind the scenes creativity. Cool. A little bit I saw.
1: I've been listening on the Sirius uh, uh, XM channel and they've been having lots of
0: interviews about it. So I'll I'll eventually get to it. Number 15, what is one thing you will never do again? Oh, when I was a Jesuit scholastic
1: and I taught uh, high school uh, U.S. history and economics, my co-curricular activity, my major was to coach Lincoln-Douglas debate. Those are moral issues of public policy. Um, And and I coached a state champion in that, Patrick Shavanek at St. Ignatius, Illinois. But I said to myself, if I ever come back to a high school, which I did, uh, but I came back as president, you know, I wouldn't be coaching extracurriculars, but I would never give so much of myself to so few people again because I'd, I would just have three, four, five, six of these uh, LDers, as we call them, Lincoln-Douglas debaters. You know, you'd go with them to these kind of two-day tournaments and you just you know you just gave your whole life to them if they're successful uh, it just keeps going it's like playoffs and football and you know and then you go on to the state championship or national champion and then you had the public league and the Catholic League and oh so uh, so I'm grateful that that uh, Patrick and I are great friends I went on to celebrate his marriage to uh, a wonderful uh, Chinese woman that he met at Wharton, and uh, uh, but but never again. So much time to so few people.
0: <laughs> All right, number sixteen. This one, this could actually happen to you. You have the chance to meet Pope Francis one on one, but you only get one sentence. What do you say? Well, I've
1: already done this. I said "Gracias por su servicio." I thanked him for his service, and I've got a photo of it. And uh, he had his little Pope smile, you know, that he has, uh, like right from the beginning. And uh, uh, so I thanked him for his service uh, because. I, I can't imagine how old he—eighty-two, eighty-three years old, uh, maybe eighty-four—and he's got one lung, and and how hard he ha- has to work, and and it's not easy to corral, uh, you know, the a church of
0: over a billion people and all those cardinals and archbishops. Number seventeen. What could you give a forty-five-minute presentation on with no preparation? Uh, best practices for uh, governance and administration of, uh,
1: of of a Catholic high school, because uh, I did it for 11 years with St. Ignatius College Prep and I've spent a lot of time giving advice to um, other institutions, uh, either startups or established places uh, about uh, good governance and good administration. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes common sense isn't so common. Uh, but uh, so some things that seem obvious to me are not obvious to other people, and uh, so
0: I, I enjoy sharing uh, those insights. This wasn't initially on the list, but I'm curious. Like, do you have one piece of advice you've given that you get consistent feedback? People say, "Oh, that's a really good piece of advice." The
1: I think the phrase "people" is more important than people are more important than paper. Uh, now, obviously that phrase came from a day before email, but I'd say people are more important than email. You know, it's, it's, uh, take care of people, you know, uh, and especially for a faith-based institution. And especially if you're going to be a a priest, you know, leader, first and foremost, people expect you to be a pastor and, but I would say successful lay leaders of, of. Catholic institutions they have to they and their team have to pastor the community I think that lens I I don't think every leader thinks of themselves first and foremost as a pastor but I, I think if you want to take good to great you might be a good leader of a Catholic school without being a pastor but you won't be a great leader of a Catholic school without being a
0: pastor Number 18, what's one thing you want to try you haven't gotten around to yet? Well, I'm showing my age here and,
1: and I wouldn't say this want is coming from deep inside of me, but, but people like left and right are saying to me, oh, Brian, you got to try pickleball, you know, because they know I like to play tennis, but. You know, covering the court as you get older, it gets harder and harder. And uh, so pickleball, I guess, is played on just sort of the four squares of the service part of a tennis court, uh, you know, and uh, one of my sisters said to me, "Oh, go on YouTube and watch it and blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. I, uh, uh, I still enjoy playing tennis, but
0: I imagine I'm going to get into pickleball. Pickleball is great. I have a set. Uh-huh. We'll go out. We'll do that, <laughs> especially if we're ever down at the beach again. Uh, they have a lot of pickleball at the beach, but no pickleball. Can two people play pickleball? You can have singles or doubles. Yeah, no, I see. yeah. Just and like if those. you have a pickleball court, it's a little bit smaller than just the service boxes on a tennis court, so it's even oh. it's better on a regular regulation sized pickleball court. But you can play it on a tennis court. Anyway, this is a whole other episode. But I endorse <laughs> I endorse pickleball, even as a relatively young and spry thirty five year old. Number nineteen. Um, what dumb accomplishment are you most proud of? You know.
1: I thought about this and uh, two things came to mind. Um, One is once when I was uh, responsible for babysitting, um, like an eight year old and a six year old niece and nephew, and a dog, and they're driving me crazy. We were up at my parents' lake house and they weren't there. Uh, So I decided to take them on a long walk like uh, just for an hour and a half. And I got them to trust me, and uh, they did it. And my goal was to tire them out, and I was successful. I tired out the kids and the dog, and I was able to have a peaceful time after that. And I think, you know, that the dog actually figured it out more than the kids. So the dog did not want to go on other walks with me after that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, see, that is the secret of parenting, right? Which is from uh-huh. the beginning of the day. It's <laughs> all about like a being a master chess player. You have to see 30, 40, 50 right. moves ahead. Sure, sure. What can I do starting at 7 a.m. <laughs> that you will be tired enough by 7.30 to go to sleep so right? I can veg sure. out and watch. Exactly.
1: Well, you know, and as a celibate, uh, uh, you know, religious who haven't had that experience, you know, uh, to pull that off once, I I, I I thought I got a taste of
0: it. Yeah, that's not a dumb accomplishment. That's like uh, life's most important accomplishment. <laughs> number okay. number 20, what makes you feel alive?
1: Um, I love swimming. You know, in fact, this morning I, I went, I, I didn't, uh, I've been scoping out pools that are close to my house so that I can figure out how to get swimming back into my uh, exercise routine here in uh, Washington. So, uh. Yeah. At any rate, I've I've discovered the pool. I now have to prove my D.C. residence uh, to get into this public pool uh, for free on a regular basis.
0: Well, Father Brian Paulson, you are off of the hot seat. You have answered the 20 questions. Thank you so much for coming on AMDG. It was great to spend some time with you and to hear a little bit about uh, your vision for the role and kind of where you are uh, as you as you navigate this position. And I'm glad we'll get to introduce you to our, our listeners all around. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and Facebook.com Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.